I will be reading from Mark chapter 6, starting in the second half of verse 6. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, City Church. You may go ahead and have a seat. Grateful to worship with you again this morning. I'm immediately uh, struck by jealousy at Sean Sullivan's hat. That is, fang- that is fantastic. I love that. Very warm. Uh, yeah, what a morning. Goodness. Uh, we do pray for uh, several of our friends and family who are dealing with this cold. Maybe they've had some issues, and uh, clearly we want to pray that uh, God would bring heat and comfort and all those things to, uh, to our people uh, and to those in this city. Uh, so let's pray. As we uh, have opened God's word, we want to ask God to uh, bless us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the magnificence of his word this morning. So let's go to the Father. Uh, Father, we are so grateful that we uh, are here, that we are uh, not just here inside where it's warm, although that is uh, certainly a gift from you, but that we are with one another in your presence, worshiping our holy God, the living God. You are majestic, worthy of all of our praise. We are so moved by the fact that you hear our prayers, that you desire to draw near to your people. And so we just pray, uh, Spirit, that you would help uh, take the words here in Mark chapter 6 and help uh, them to come to life in our own minds and hearts, that you would uh, do what you are pleased to do, to convict and encourage and have us to treasure Jesus all the more. We know that this is what you're pleased to do, and, and not just do this, but so much more, more than we could ever fathom. And so we are an expectant people this morning. We do pray for those who have had their uh, mornings disrupted with the broken pipes and ice and the extreme cold. We pray that you would protect those in our city who are having a, uh, problems even now, staying warm because of their circumstances. We, we pray that you would uh, bring them into warmth. I pray that ultimately you bring them into the warmth of Jesus Christ and salvation. Um, we, we pray for other brothers and sisters at other churches gathering even right now. We pray for Grace Church, Redemption Story Church, Northbrook, Trinity Presbyterian. We pray that your gospel uh, would go forth. We know it does, not just from City Church, but so many faithful churches and expressions of your kingdom around our city. I pray blessings over them this morning. Uh, we love you. Thank you for meeting us here. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. 
Well, I'm sure you've had this uh, scenario happen to you uh, a few times where uh, you hear words coming at you, perhaps. Maybe they're in the room. Maybe, maybe, you're, uh, maybe you're hearing something from another room. Someone's saying words, but you're not really listening. You, you're meant to listen, but you, you just hear words. You hear something coming out of someone's mouth, but what they're saying, you're meant to listen to, not just kind of in the background here. I think we've all been there before at least a few times in our, in our life. Uh, most of you know that um, before I came into ministry vocationally that I was a weatherman at a, at a TV station. And in our particular studio, uh, the weather center where I worked and, and got all the maps together uh, was kind of set apart, set away from the main anchor desk. Uh, but uh, you've probably seen news people wear the little earpieces. And so I had one of those earpieces. They're called IFBs. I would have them in my ear. And, and in my ear, I would hear uh, the newscast. I would hear whatever the anchors were saying. And so it was always running in the background uh, there in my right ear. I would always be listening or at least hearing something going on. But on to my shame, multiple occasions, not just once, but several times, I would hear noise, voices in my ear. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden I would hear, what do you think, Jeff? And I would have no idea what they had just said. Uh, it's like uh, Charlie Brown's uh, teacher, you know, it's my, 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 my. And then whatever thankfully broke through was my name, and I heard my name and had no idea how to respond. We've been in that situation before, maybe not that one exactly, but where you hear a voice, where you hear someone speaking, but you don't even realize that they're asking you not just to hear them, but to listen to them. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. We, we confess that we should be a listening people. That's why in those circumstances that I was just describing at the TV station or maybe when uh, a parent is trying to get your attention, kids, and you don't hear them, or a spouse maybe trying to get your attention and you don't hear him or her or listen to their words, we feel guilty because we know that we should be a listening people. What we're going to look at in our text this morning is that we have to consider that there are some who purposefully do not listen. That's a difference, right? We, we feel like we should be listening because that is just the right thing to do. When someone is speaking to us, we want to pay them the honor of listening to what they have to say. But here in our text, there are people who are literally unwilling to listen. We see that there in verse 11 that Sawyer just read out of Mark chapter 6. People who will not listen to the apostles. Jesus warns them that there will be those as, as they are sent out that will not receive them, that will not give them an occasion to be listened to. The refusal to listen in order to really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're up against this morning. That's what we're uh, going to see here in the text. We're in a part of the Gospel of Mark uh, that is dealing more and more with this whole idea of rejection. If you remember last week, we looked at uh, the very beginning of Mark chapter 6, where Jesus goes back into his hometown of Nazareth, uh, and that 
he was essentially rejected by his friends and family and so many in his hometown. And then we read there in verse 6 that he moves on to the other villages and he sends out his apostles. And Mark is showing that it's not just Jesus that will be rejected, but his people as well. That the disciples of Jesus Christ, the apostles, us as his people, as his church, will experience rejection. Again, starting in verse 7, we, we see that this mission of Jesus is going to continue after Nazareth. He's sending out the 12 apostles uh, or disciples. If you uh, remember earlier in the Gospel of Mark, we've already seen these men. We've seen their names. We've seen Jesus call them to himself and give their purpose that they are going to be apostles, which means sent ones. They're going to be on mission for Jesus. One of the things that's incredibly encouraging is that Jesus, and we've already talked about this when we mentioned these men before, Jesus is pleased to use very flawed people for his kingdom purposes. Up until this point, the, these men have, have at times showed flashes of understanding and faithfulness, but so many other times have, have shown their, their weakness, their, their inability to fully understand the gospel, and yet Jesus sends them out with his authority. This is not something that they are mustering on their own. Jesus sends them out with his authority, two by two, uh, to proclaim the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And there are so many little details here in this text that we could comment on about why they were not to bring money bags, why they were to wear certain things and not wear certain things. One thing that we can say, though, for sure is that uh, these men were meant to look like Jesus. They were meant to behave and be on mission as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. They were to look and act like him. Not, not trusting in material goods or money, but wholly trusting uh, God. Just like Jesus, wholly trusting his father, these men were to wholly trust in Jesus and his words, the word of God, as they brought shalom to the homes that they entered. Now, we said last week that the disciples were there in Nazareth with Jesus so that they could witness the rejection that Jesus experienced there. And now they're being sent out and Jesus is warning them or telling them what to do if a house rejects them. And we see that they are to shake off the dust that is on their feet as a testimony against that house. Now, look at the next section in your Bible, I'm trusting most of you have open Bibles here to Mark 6. Now, if you look at the text, you see that the very next story is the death of John the Baptist. That's what my heading says in the ESV. Now, we might think that this is just the next story in a series of stories that Mark is wanting to tell, but I want to skip down to verse 30. So if you let your eye drop down to verse 30 of chapter 6, it says that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And so what Mark has done is that he has sandwiched the story of John being killed between the story of the apostles being sent out and the apostles coming back. Do you see that? We, we have the story of the apostles sent out two by two. Then all of a sudden we're talking about John 
And then we're back in verse 30 to the disciples returning to Jesus. Now the question is, do we care about this? Should we care about the placement of these stories in the Gospel of Mark? Well, I want to uh, urge us and encourage us that the answer is yes. That actually Mark is doing something very purposeful here of talking about the disciples being sent out and then interrupting that story, if you will, with the occasion to tell us about what has happened to John the Baptist. These two stories, maybe they don't seem on their face to be related, but they actually are. I want to make that case for us this morning. So I'm going to read, beginning in verse 14, uh, the occasion or the the, uh, story of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer and what has happened to him. So as you are looking at God's word, I'll pick it up here in verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And he immediately, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let me give you the main idea of the message this morning as we consider these two stories, the story of the apostles being sent out and the story of John the Baptist being executed. It's there on your handout if you picked one of those up on the way in. The message or the main idea is this, being sent into a world that hears but does not listen can bring deadly rejection. Being sent into a world that hears but does not listen can bring deadly rejection. The stories of the apostles having a plan for being rejected, having a plan for what happens when someone would not receive them in their home, and this story of John being beheaded are tied together by the theme of rejection and suffering. 
Do you see that this morning? That here we are in the, in the middle of Mark where this theme more and more is going to be developed and intensified as we see Jesus marching all the way to Jerusalem. Rejection and suffering will be present. God's sent ones and gospel proclaimers will suffer just like Jesus. You see there on your handout, there are two blanks. I'll just Go ahead and tell you what those two blanks are. These are the two main points that kind of flow from our main idea. The rejection of the gospel shakes dust off feet, and the rejection of the gospel takes heads off bodies. First, the rejection of the gospel shakes dust off feet. This, of course, is what the apostles were to do, as we've already seen, that if they were not received, if their message was rejected, they were to, as a testimony against that home, shake the dust off their feet in judgment. The gospel of repentance will meet resistance. There will be those who refuse to listen And we want to be careful about how we apply this particular text. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with this text if you've been in church for a while. Uh, This is a fairly well-known story, as many of them are in the Gospels. Uh, Is this story mainly prescriptive or descriptive? And what do I mean by that? Is Is this telling us, is this prescribing exactly how God's people are to go out on mission? Or is it more of a description of what's happening here in this particular context here with the apostles? Does it mean that if someone does not receive our sharing of the gospel, if we say it once, and they do not receive it, does that mean that we are to, uh, in a uh, metaphorical way, shake the dust off our feet and uh, seek to move on without having any other conversation? I think that this passage is actually very specific to what's going on here with Jesus and these men. This was a very specific mission that Jesus called them on. There was quite a bit of urgency because of the time frame that we are talking about. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem eventually. And so while this is extremely specific to these 12 men in particular, we do know that there are people in our lives that we have shared the gospel with, that we have proclaimed God's truth to, and they have rejected it. They have not received it. We are called, as we have been sent out by Jesus in the Great Commission, we've been called to maybe share the gospel with someone multiple times. In other words, that uh, we are to be patient and long-suffering. Now, we need wisdom We certainly need wisdom as we are on mission for God because there may indeed be a time that God is calling us to take a break or to move away from someone if they continue to reject the proclaiming of the gospel. We might need to pull back from such a person, but we would never give up praying for such a person. These are different contexts that we are talking about. But none of of this whether we are called to take a break or pull back from someone because they continue to reject the gospel, or as the apostles are doing here, shaking dust off their feet, none of this should mask the fact that there will be suffering in the kingdom of God. There will be suffering as we are on mission for God. 
It might mean that you get a door slammed in your face. It might mean that uh, someone makes fun of you or belittles you because of your faith. Because Christianity, in, in their mind, is, is ridiculous. Or it could be, be even more serious than that. And that's why I think Mark wants us to see in the story of John being beheaded. Sometimes the rejection of the gospel takes heads off bodies. And that's obviously the fate of John the Baptist here in this story, in this text The rejection of the gospel by Herod brought death. Mark is connecting the story of the apostles being sent out with this flashback of the story of John being killed to show that we are in many ways entering a new era here in the gospel of Mark. Uh, We we have seen John the Baptist at the very beginning of Mark's gospel uh, come onto the scene proclaiming the gospel, preparing the way for Jesus. That's in chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we read that John was delivered up, but we don't hear anything more about John until now. What happened to John? Well, now we hear the rest of the story. We see the end of John's life. But now it's being tied back to the apostles where John was the last of the Old Testament prophets, if you will. Now we have a new era with new proclaimers of the gospel, new prophets in the apostles being sent out. The apostles will be the new prophetic voice in the church age. What do we see in this story about John? Well, first we see that Herod, who has heard of Jesus, obviously Jesus' ministry has caused quite the stir in the area. Herod has heard of this Jesus, but we read that he thinks that it's John the Baptist resurrected or raised to life. You see there, as, as he kind of casually says, John, whom I beheaded, who I beheaded, has been raised in verse 16. So we know that John is dead. And this is not, from Herod, a, a joyful reaction to the resurrection of John the Baptist. We, we would imagine, especially us today on this side of the crucifixion, that we rejoice in resurrection. We love when we can consider that Jesus was raised from the dead. We love to think about resurrection from death. And yet here, John the Baptist is anything but joyful. He's, he has a guilty conscience Because he has killed John and now he's fearful because he's believing that Jesus is John the Baptist raised to new life. And so then we get into beginning in verse 17, this this story, this flashback, if you will, of how John died. And John was murdered because he was courageous with the gospel. We read that John spoke truth to worldly power. That is, after all, what Herod represents here. He is the kingdom of the world. And John has spoken truth to him, it seems like, over and over again. He's told Herod that according to God's law, he was not allowed to marry his brother Philip's wife, and yet he does it anyway, that Herod ends up marrying his brother's wife, and her name is Herodias. We read that she is really bitter about the fact that John did not want Herod to marry her or that it wasn't lawful for him to do so. And we see that she wants to kill John. 
But interesting, Herod wants to keep him safe. There's an interesting uh, story going on here, an interesting twist, if you will. It's not that Herod is the one that immediately wants to kill John. It's his wife. And then we read about this elaborate banquet that he throws for all the, the big wigs in town, the military leaders, and all the, that is pomp and circumstance here that this banquet would represent. And we need to know as we read this story, and again, this is probably a familiar story to you because uh, in the Gospels we see this often, the story about this banquet and a girl dancing and John being beheaded. It's gruesome. It's not G-rated. I hope you understand that when you read this story, this is not an innocent little girl coming in and doing some cute dance for some adults. This was uh, not a G-rated birthday party. This is a man representing the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Satan, throwing a drunken, lustful, sordid affair. Herodias' daughter, who would be Herod's stepdaughter, this is uh, the daughter that Herodias had with Philip, which is Herod's brother, comes in dancing for all these men, all these big wigs in high society. And again, This is not cute. This is not innocent. This is gross. It's incestuous. Uh, There is a state of utter depravity here. And Herod asked this girl, probably inflamed with lust, as gross as that is, he asked this girl, I'll do whatever you want. What do you want in front of all these men? Having already been sold out by her own mother as a sex object, she goes back to her mother to ask her, what her request should be, and she says, John's head on a platter. The rejection of the gospel can take heads off bodies. We're confronted in the story very clearly with the courage of John the Baptist versus the cowardice of Herod. I don't know if you picked up on that, that, that John clearly is courageous in the face of this type of power. Uh, of this type of intimidation. Uh, John is an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Herod, as we said, represents the kingdom of the serpent or Satan. John the Baptist had a particular courage that was not birthed out of contempt, but of love. And you might ask, well, where do you, where do you even get that? That word love doesn't show up in our text. How is it that we would say that John is fueled or motivated by love? And not contempt. That he's fueled uh, for love of God's name and fame and even love that we can infer from this passage that he's even motivated by love for Herod himself. We, we see and hear news stories all the time about the, the valor, about the virtue of speaking truth to power. We see it all the time. We can probably recall many, many examples, even in the past week, of where someone who's the little guy uh, gives it to the man, right? Speaks truth and power, stands up for himself. This is what so many books and movies and TV shows are made of, that the little guy gets to finally have his say. But when we see those stories or when we watch those movies, how often really is it that Uh, The people that are being spoken to, uh, that whoever is being spoken to with this type of truth is being loved. That there's a desire for good for the one that truth is being spoken to. 
we read here that John is courageous with God's truth and with the gospel of repentance. And you, you can infer here from this story that it wasn't just once, that it wasn't John one time telling Herod, hey, you should not marry your brother's wife. That is against God's law. We can infer from the passage, uh, because we see there in verse 18, for John had been saying to Herod. So what we can infer from that is that this was happening more than once, that John was confronting Herod, possibly in numerous conversations. I think it even continued after John was imprisoned. The aim of John's charge is love. A courageous, dare I say, uh, winsome charge. Some of you know, or maybe some of you have kept up with uh, certain evangelical news, that that word winsome is, for some people, uh, a problem. Uh, That winsomeness has become an issue in the church in some ways. That there is uh, a winsomeness that can and has catered and cratered and capitulated to the world. There's no doubt. That when some say winsome and when some operate uh, in winsomeness, that it's really code for uh, capitulation and caving in. That, that does happen. And yet, I want to argue from what we see here from John the Baptist that there is indeed a gospel winsomeness that still confronts. But it confronts others out of love. It's motivated by love. It's motivated by the desire for the glory of God and his fame in this world. There is a winsomeness that still confronts others with truth despite the possibility of rejection, even rejection unto death. How do I get those things? One of the things that you likely heard as I read the text is that John heard him, or I'm sorry, Herod heard John gladly. Do you see that there at the end of verse 20? He said, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. There was something about the way John spoke, about the God on whom he was speaking for, that perplexed Herod. That something was curious to Herod about what John was saying, and yet he heard him gladly. It was compelling to Herod to keep John safe. There was something about John, something about his message that arose within Herod, a curiosity. He was perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. He understood that John was a righteous and holy man. But oh, that Herod would have actually listened to John. Do you see the difference? He heard him. He heard him. He heard him gladly. All the words. But did he really listen? Did he understand what John was saying? What was at stake? This is hearing but not listening. Can we... Can we understand as we read the story of Herod, the dangers that lurk in the hearts of men when it comes to fear of man, when it comes to cowardice, 
After all, you, you pick up pretty clearly in this story uh, the way that Herod uh, certainly did not fear God, but he feared his wife, he feared his daughter, he feared the people at this party, he did not want to let them down, and yet he did not fear the Lord. His cowardice led to more and more uh, debauchery, to lying, and eventually to murder. And so just to exhort us this morning and remind us this morning, this is exactly what unrepentant, unconfessed sin does in the hearts of men. That it never stays where it is, it always grows. It grows in the dark and clearly it has growing in the dark heart of Herod, of his wife and of all that were there This is the significance of sin that lies in darkness. It takes you places you never thought you would go. Instead of repenting, which is the hope of John's message to Herod, we we know later on that Herod will not repent. In fact, will gladly conspire with Pontius Pilate in order to kill Jesus Christ. There is a danger in hearing There's a danger even in hearing gladly and not listening. Truly listening, the listening that leads to understanding and to faith. So here's our moment of honesty this morning. Where where is this happening, perhaps even in your own heart and mind? Where have you heard The gracious words of Jesus Christ, where have you read in his word? Where have you come maybe back to church and back to his word over and over again gladly? There's something about it that you would gladly hear, but you really haven't listened to. What might that be in your life? Where, where, if you're honest, have you heard, but you haven't listened unto repentance? where you have heard the warnings from God, you've heard the warnings from even God's people speaking on his behalf, and yet you have kept your hearts cold and dark. That's the danger. That's what we're up against. We we can see the danger here in the kingdom of the world that Herod represents, and yet know that the same vestiges of sin and darkness still lurk in our own hearts. And it's a warning to put it to death to bring it into the light, to not only hear, but to gladly listen unto a response that leads to life. As ambassadors for Christ and participants in the Great Commission, I want to ask the question, what is, what is this passage, what are these two stories, stories of the apostles being sent out and the story of John the Baptist being beheaded, what are we to do? What is it calling us to do? Now, we should remember that uh, Mark, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, Mark was written to a people that were being incredibly persecuted by the emperor Nero in Rome. That by and large, this, this gospel was written to uh, Christians, uh, especially Gentile Christians, who were under the constant threat of Nero. And so Mark's gospel is to persecuted Christians as a way of encouragement. And certainly those people at that time would hear these stories and understand the sobriety, maybe even know someone who's also been beheaded by Nero, there would be quite a bit of a familiarity with rejection, with the threat of being punished, maybe even killed. 
We pray for God to grow in us a virtue of courage. We ask God to build within us a virtue of courage and the help from the Holy Spirit to put to death the vice of cowardice. We see it again very clearly in this story. There's the courage, the gospel-fueled courage of John the Baptist and the world, the worldly deficiencies of Herod expressed in his cowardice. The church hears the call of Jesus to go and proclaim and teach and know you will be rejected, maybe even unto death. The call this morning is simply to be courageous. It's a simple yet weighty, remarkably weighty command. Be courageous. Be courageous clearly, with conviction, winsome and wise, truth in love. Those are not opposed to one another. We be courageous. Chris is going to talk a lot more about this uh, a little bit later on, and you've heard us talk about GROW. That's coming up uh, on Wednesday, our first GROW on Wednesday evening. Pray that you would be, uh, encourage you to be a part of that. And we are talking about the cardinal or Christian virtues uh, for this season of GROW. And one of those virtues, one of those cardinal virtues is what's called fortitude. And it's most closely associated with courage. And so courage and fortitude, this is the idea that uh, you do the right thing, you do what you're called to do, despite temptation, despite dangers, you courageously move forward in obedience. And so I want us, I want my own heart, I want City Church to be courageous. We want to be a church that prays often for the virtue of fortitude, asking God to form all of that in our hearts and minds, not, not so that we can just pat ourselves on the back or put our chest out and go, yeah, I'm courageous, but, but for his name, for his fame, for his glory. Here's my concern. This, was, this, has, been, uh, this has been weighing on me all week as I've studied this passage because I've been quite convicted myself. And I have a concern, uh, I will say first and foremost for me, so I, chief of sinners, I'll raise my hand, but here is my concern for us as I say these words to us this morning, as we are called to courage, my concern, my fear is that when I call us to courage, that it's just going to lay really flat. It's going to fall on us really flat. I don't want that, but, and I pray that it's not true, but I think we're up against quite a bit here in the West. I think we're up quite a bit, uh, up against quite a bit here where we live in America at this time with the creature comforts of this world that are constantly uh, drawing us back into a place that we don't have to be courageous. Where we live, what we hear on a regular basis, my fear is when I exhort us, while God is exhorting us through this text to be strong and courageous, my fear is that we hear that and go, yeah, 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 strong and courageous, and then right back into comfort when we get home, right back into comfort this week. 
there are brothers and sisters, we know this, we know this, there are brothers and sisters around the world right now who, if they were to hear a call to be courageous, if they were to hear the call to build in them a virtue of fortitude, that they would see that as the thing, that that is the thing because they see the sword coming at their neck. They see the sword approaching. And of course, they're gonna hear this call for courage and take it to heart. Jesus said that we will have troubles in this world. This is one of the last things he said before his crucifixion, that we would have troubles in this world. He said that we would be rejected as he was rejected. And so let me ask you the question. I asked it of myself several times this week, and I'm going to ask it of you. How acquainted with the rejection of the gospel are you? Is rejection familiar to you? Do you, live, do you live next door to rejection or is it in a di- different uh, zip code or different time zone altogether? How familiar, how acquainted with rejection because of the gospel of Jesus Christ are we? I want to be incredibly careful this morning because uh, there can be some really bad motivations here as, as I uh, speak of these things, as we're exhorted to consider these things. Perhaps you've even heard a sermon or a message from this text and it's hit you in a way that motivates you out of guilt. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in us being motivated by some type of false guilt. And I also am not wishing upon us the same brutality that our brothers and sisters halfway across the world are experiencing this morning. I don't want us to have our heads chopped off. I don't. I don't want us killed for the sake of the gospel. And, and by God's grace, most of us, we pray, will never have our heads severed from our bodies. But are we willing to risk having a relationship severed from our life? Are we willing to have a paycheck severed from our bank account? Are we willing to show a gospel courage? Where where might God be asking you to show this type of courage with his gospel and with his word? It's slightly different for each of us, but maybe it it just begins by simply uh, saying something. Maybe it, maybe it means turning to the person that shares an office with you. Maybe it means taking dessert to the neighbors that moved in down the street and saying something about Jesus, saying something about the gospel, about the hope that you have, the salvation in Jesus Christ. What does it mean for our church? Well, it means that there are times where Uh, I or Chris or any of our elders will stand up here and have to be bold, courageous with the truth. Not have to be in in fearing about what's going to happen, but there will be and has been and will likely continue to be rejection because the world is hostile to the things of God. What the world has set up as the important thing, as the religion, we'll have to speak words against We'll have to be courageous with the truth. Are we willing to do those things? Jesus says to follow him. I think we all will recognize that is indeed something that he has said to his people. Follow me. He said that to these 12 men. 
follow me. But he also says, and we'll see this later on in the Gospel of Mark, to take up our cross and follow him. And so the question is, will you pick up your cross and follow him? Even if it means a slammed door in your face, even if it means a, a relationship with a good friend or a family member that, that is uh, coming to an end because of the rejection of the gospel, even if it means death itself, will you pick up your cross and follow him? Jesus has not yet, in the Gospel of Mark, explicitly said that he will suffer and die. We haven't gotten to that part of Mark, but, but clearly the passage this morning is previewing that. Clearly the passage this morning is indicating that the, the kingdom of God is going to be growing, but it's also a kingdom that's sown in weakness and suffering, and that Jesus, as we know, will die. Will die as the suffering servant. You know, these the stories uh, that we just read out of Mark 6, Jesus is not with, physically with, either the apostles or physically with John as he's in prison. We don't even read much about Jesus in these stories, but we know that he was there. We know he's with us as well. And so when we're called to courage, when we're called to, to consider the virtue of fortitude, uh, we are not doing that apart from the presence of Jesus Christ. As he is with us at all times. We will never be forsaken by him. We're promised that uh, by the very words of Jesus in the Great Commission that he would be with us to the end of the age, and so he shall be. He is the suffering servant that we read about in the book of Isaiah, the one despised and rejected. He's the one delivered up just like John was. He's the one poor and needy, but courageous unto death. He's the one that was ultimately and most painfully rejected by his own father on the cross. And he did that for you and for me. He experienced the wrath of God, the ultimate in rejection from the father, so that you and I would never have to do such a thing, that you and I would never experience such a horror. The disciples, as we read there in verse 29, they heard of John, John's death. They came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The next time in the Gospel of Mark that we read that word tomb will be at the end of Mark, when it's Jesus' body that is laid in a tomb. Here's the beautiful truth, and I pray as we wrap up, this is the encouragement, that the laying down in a tomb and the life of the believer is never the end of the story. That the laying down in a tomb is never the end of the story. That because Jesus has been resurrected, uh, that Jesus uh, is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and we're united to him. The laying down in a tomb is never the end of a story for the Christian. We might as he's called us out into this world, we might at times shake dust off our feet, God forbid, but knowing the reality that some of us, or at least some in the world, may even have their heads taken off their bodies, but ours is an unshakable kingdom. It's what the book of, of Hebrews shows us, that we, we are in an unshakable kingdom, one that has the best ending possible. 
The resurrection means that Christ, our head, will never be severed from his body, the church. We're with him. He's with us. So we indeed, on mission, might indeed be uh, afflicted. We will be rejected. We may even be perplexed, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And yet we are never forsaken and never without hope. There's courage. The gospel brings it. Let's pray. So, Father, we do. We ask for this courage. We ask that you would embolden us with the truth and with your good gospel. We know it's this news, this glorious news, that Jesus has come, taken on flesh, died after living a perfect life as a sin substitute, and has been raised to life, ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. And those who have put their faith in him, those who have trusted in him, have been rescued from darkness and hell. So we praise your name and pray that that would be a message that we take to a lost and dying world. That, that would be a message that we take to neighbors and friends and coworkers and maybe even people who are in a position wielding worldly power that would lead to really bad things, even death. We pray for those who are experiencing death itself, the threat of death itself, even this morning because of their faith. Help us with wisdom on how and when and how often to share your good news. Bring us wisdom on the best ways to, to speak with a winsomeness, not to capitulate or cave in, but because you've called us to speak truth and love. And so might we, might we be faithful to do just that. Ultimately, we, we see this courage in Jesus Christ who marched all the way to the cross for us. And so we are emboldened by him. Spirit, work in us these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.